Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Bible in the News. This is Tim Billington joining you. We live in a divided world today, especially when it comes to Israel. On the one hand, we have anti-Semitic movements like the BDS that's moving against Israel and trying to undermine them in every way they can. And on the other hand, we have movements like this. Christians are coming to Israel to volunteer every year to harvest grapes for the farmers of Israel in Judea and Samaria, prune their vineyards, and to help them in any way they can. It's an amazing thing that they are doing. And these people come, save their own money, pay their own way, and work from dawn till dusk to help these farmers. They do this because they believe that they are fulfilling the prophecies. The far sons of the foreigner would be their vine dressers and their husbandmen. And then we have Donald Trump, who's appointed Zionists and settlement supporters to his government. And on the other hand, we have the UN and its continual string of anti-Israel motions. And they've recently made settlements illegal and set up the legal framework for the invasion of Israel, calling Israeli settlements a flagrant violation of international law. This turns our mind to Genesis chapter 12, the blessings of Abraham and the promises to him. God says, I will make thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy great name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. The two words for bless here in this verse are the same, bless and bless. But when we come to the words for curse, they're actually different. There's two different words that are both translated curse in this verse. In the original Hebrew, the word for where it says curse him that curseth thee, those two words are actually different in Hebrew. The one that's translated there curseth rather than just curse is to be light, to be swift, to be trifling, to be of little account to be light. So then we find other translations that actually translate this a little bit differently and bring this out. Here's Young's literal, Genesis 12 and verse 3. And I will bless those blessing thee, and him who is disesteeming thee, I curse. And the New English translation, I will bless those that bless you, but the one who treats you lightly, I must curse. So that really makes that far more powerful. Because men don't ha actually have to actively curse Abraham or his seed to be cursed by God, but simply accounting them nothing, not chosen by God, is enough. How do you think God would like us to treat his national son, his firstborn? He says Israel is his firstborn in Exodus. Now, if we flip on a little bit to Genesis chapter 28, because really... Um, these verses we're looking at here in Genesis chapter 12, they are the, the blessings of Abraham. They are the promises to Abraham, and it's addressed to him. But we see that these promises are passed on. Genesis chapter 28, verses 1 to 4. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, going on to verse 4, and give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. So the blessings of Abraham are passed on to his seed. And if we think about this then, that these these blessings and cursings, this idea of him that's, that blesses them will be blessed, and him that curses them will be cursed, or, or even stronger, him that lightly esteems them will be cursed. When we think of the Holocaust and the terrible things that happened then, what happened to Germany? Well, 
Germany was completely decimated by the bombing of the Western powers at that time. Their towns were leveled. There was millions of people that were killed. They, they were cursed. Now, moving to what we see today, it's interesting just to read together from Ezekiel chapter 35. We'll start at verse 10. What we'll see from this verse is that really to oppose Israel's return and to oppose their being settled in those mountains of Israel that are the, the heart of the land is to oppose God. Let's see what he says in Ezekiel chapter 35. Because thou hast said, these two nations and these two countries shall be mine and we will possess it. So there's other people that are saying that this land of Israel is theirs. Um, and then it goes on, whereas the Lord was there, therefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, I will even do according to thine anger and according to thine envy, which thou hast used out of thy hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them when I have judged thee. Verse 12, and thou shalt know that I am Yahweh and that I have heard all thy blasphemies, which thou hast spoken against the mountains of Israel, saying they are laid desolate. They are given us to consume. Thus with your mouth ye have boasted against me and have multiplied your words against me. I have heard them. Thus saith the Lord God, when the whole earth rejoices, I will make thee desolate, as thou didst rejoice at the inheritance of the house of Israel, because it was desolate. So will I do unto thee. Thou shalt be desolate, O Mount Seir, and all I do mea, even all of it. And they shall know that I am the Lord. So the actions of the nations against Israel, when they say, that this is a Palestinian area, Israel should not be there, when really it's God that's brought them back. God has put them there, and he has put his name in this land and said it's his land. So really they're speaking against God and the actions of God. But we know <clears throat> that there is a hard time coming. Ezekiel chapter 38. We've talked about it often. Ezekiel chapter 38, let's just look the American standard here, verse 2. Son of man, set thy face toward Gog, the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And that Rosh, we believe, is an ancient name for Russia, and Meshach and Tubal also indicate similar areas of Russia. So the core of this force is going to be Russian. So Ezekiel uh, 38, verse 7, Be thou prepared, and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. So the force that's assembled together to Russia, Russia is going to be a guard to them. We see that behavior today in Syria. As they take those places on as allies, they act as a guard to them against their adversaries. And this will grow. Russia will do this other places as well. Ezekiel 38 verse 16, Thou shalt come up against my people of Israel as a cloud to cover the land. It shall be in the latter days, and I will bring thee against my land, that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, O Gog, before their eyes. So they invade Israel. It's a great time of trouble. What should our attitude to this be? This is where we are today. We see that Russia is in Syria. And now, not just are they in Syria, but they are very close to the Israeli border in the Golan Heights in Syria. They've been set as the force to police this new ceasefire that's been set up. And it's put them just a few kilometers from the Israeli border. So you now have Russia right on Israel's northern border. 
And as we see that, you can't help but think of these verses in Ezekiel 38 that we looked at, that this is the force that's going to come down against Israel in the latter days, and they're right there on the border. Now, we may not do this on purpose, but we need to be very careful that we do not in any way align ourselves with those powers that are opposing Israel. As we've seen, God sees it as a personal affront on him, that it's him that's put them there. It's his people in his land. If we read here in Psalm 137 and verse 7, it's talking about the children of Edom. And what did they do when Israel was being destroyed? They cheered it on. They said, raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. So we think of that. It was, it was God that was bringing punishment against them when they were dispersed. They displeased him and he was causing them to be dispersed as punishment. But it was very wrong for another people to cheer on that judgment. So when we're talking about Armageddon, we see that these nations are coming against Israel. First of all, we need to remember that they're coming, they're gathered together for judgment, not, not for judgment of Israel, we're told, but it's judgment upon them, that they will be destroyed on the mountains of Israel. So the judgment is against the nations that come against God's people at this time. When we see these nations gathering, we can be encouraged because it's the time of the end in general and the establishment of the kingdom in particular, and that's at hand. But we need to be very careful when we look at the sufferings of the children of Israel. We can't let our desire for the, the coming of the time of the end and the establishment of the kingdom in some way make us indifferent or even cheer on the force that comes against them and overrides their land. When we think about this, was there ever a time that a man of God was disobedient to God and yet God was pleased with him in some way? God worked with him, God answered his prayer. There was. And that time is recorded for us in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 14. God says to Moses, when the children of Israel have been disobedient in the wilderness, let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name under heaven, and I will make of thee a nation mightier and greater than they. So here, the word of God is clear. God says, I'm going to destroy them. Let me alone, and I'm going to destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. What does Moses do? Does Moses leave God alone? Does Moses say, oh, that's your will? Let me get out of your way. These people are annoying me. They are disobedient. They deserve it. And um, let me know when I can come back and you will make of me a great nation. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. What does Moses do? Down verse 18. And Moses fell down before Yahweh as at the first. This isn't the first time that this happened. So how does Moses respond? He falls down before God. Forty days and forty nights I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins which he sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of Yahweh to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith Yahweh was wroth against you to destroy you. So God has said he's going to destroy them, make of Moses a great nation. Moses falls down. 40 days and 40 nights, fasts and prays on their behalf. What does God do? 
but Yahweh hearkened unto me at this time also. So Moses prayed and fasted for 40 days, and God listened to him and saved them. So when we think of our attitude when these things are coming, what should it be? Should it not be that we're praying on their behalf for God to show them mercy? It's the only thing that can be the right attitude. So what exactly is coming? Let's look at these prophecies and see. The time of Jacob's trouble. The time of Jacob's trouble comes from Jeremiah 30 and verse 7. This is a little quote from um, John Thomas, writing in 1859 in the book called The Last Days of Judah's Commonwealth. But he's talking about this last, this time of trouble of the latter days. So he says, the time of Jacob's trouble, out of which he is to be saved, is a great day, so that none is like it. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. The great and terrible day of Yahweh upon the Gentiles, as the last days were upon the Jews. So the last days before they were dispersed, that was different than the last days now. The last days then were the end of the nation of Israel and the land at that time. But this is now the time of their restoration. This is when they're coming back. This is when God is building them. And what will be the time of the end of is the end of the nations that fight against them. So the, the last days he refers to are the days of AD 70. The latter days are our days. The time of judgment on the Gentiles is our time. So we look around then. Jeremiah chapter 30. This is where he quoted from. So let, let's have a look and see what it says there. We'll read a bit more context. Jeremiah 30 and verse 4. These are the words that Yahweh spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith Yahweh, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins, as a woman in travail? And all faces are turned unto paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, even the time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith Yahweh of armies, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve Yahweh their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. So there's great stress and worry. When the Jews have returned, they're in their land, and there's this time of trouble. It looks terrible. But God says that he will save them out of it. And this is the story that you read, like in Ezekiel chapter 38. God's anger comes up in his face, and he destroys those nations that come against them. A little bit further on, God actually reassures them. He says, fear thou not. Now, would God say, fear thou not, if this was such a terrible time that most of them would be destroyed? This cannot be the case. So Jeremiah 30, verse 10, Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord. Neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. 
So the things that we see in our day now, and it's the time of the restoration, when they have been regathered, the things that we will see now are a measured correction. They're not this terrible destruction that they are fearing. So God's reassuring them that he's with them to save them and they should not be afraid. The nations will be destroyed, Israel not so. Now just read this one. These nations that come against Israel, they're described as a man that dreams. Let's read it. Isaiah 29, verse six, starting at verse 7. And the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, Ariel is another name for Jerusalem, even all that fight against her and her munition and that distress her shall be as a dream of the night vision. It shall even be as when a hungry man dreameth, and behold, he eateth. But when he awaketh, his soul is empty. Or as when a thirsty man dreameth, and behold, he drinketh. But when he awaketh, and behold, he is faint, and his soul hath appetite. So shall the multitude of the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. What other time has there been when a multitude of nations come against Jerusalem? It wasn't so in the past. They had one nation at a time. Babylon came and destroyed them. They were restored. They were taken by the Romans. And this time, it's a multitude of nations that will come, but they are to be saved. This has to be the same time. It has to be that battle of Armageddon. Here's another one. Isaiah 17, verses 12 to 14. Woe to the multitude of many people. See, there we go again with the multitude of many people. I feel that that must indicate that this is the same time. Woe to the multitude of many people, which make a noise like the noise of the seas, and to the rushing of the nations, that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations shall rush like the rushing of mighty waters, but God shall rebuke them, and they shall flee far off, and shall be chased as the chaff of the mountains before the wind, and like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. And behold, at evening tide trouble, and before the morning he is not. This is the portion of them that spoil us, and the lot of them that rob us. So the nations will come. They will be angry. They will rush against them. They will come, as Ezekiel says, as a cloud to cover the land. But what happens? They're rebuked by God. They become like the chaff that's nothing in the wind and just blows away like there's nothing even there. But we can't forget it is a day of trouble, and it will be a hard time. We don't have time to go through all the prophecies, but there are hard things that are spoken. So I think we need to remember, to remember this in our prayer. Habakkuk, the prophet, I think is a great example in this. It's a Latter-day prophecy. He's speaking of things that will happen at this time. And what is his prayer? O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of years, in the midst of years make known, in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. We can pray for mercy on his people. But when there's this time of wrath, it's a time of a measured correction for Israel. It's a time of great punishment for the nations. And we can pray that he will show his people mercy. So these are the burning questions I think we need to ask ourselves. At what point is Israel saved? The nations come. What damage is there to be? How many will be taken captive? What, what will happen? How will this be? I think we need to look at the prophecies and see them, and we need to 
we need to to follow through on this theme and see and then reflect it in our prayers and pray God that he will show them mercy and he will lessen the affliction of that time, that the time will be short, that the time will be very short that they're in the land. As it says in that passage, in the evening, there's trouble. By the morning, it's over. So a very short amount of time before God steps in. And we need to pray that that is very short. Now, there's one passage that I would like to look at, Zechariah 13. Now, this is frequently quoted to claim that two-thirds of present-day Israel is to be destroyed. Let's read it together. We'll back up to verse 7. Zechariah 13, verse 7 says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn my hand upon the little ones. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and I will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them, and I will say, It is my people, and they shall say, The Lord is my God. Now if we read that, you can see why you might think that that is our time, because it ends at the end, that they're reconnected to God, that they have this terrible time, this is a time of great trouble, but then they call on the name of God, and God hears them, and says that they are his people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. So it sounds like those many passages that talk about Israel being converted to God in the last day. One thing that we need to realize when we talk about this is verse 7 is quoted by Jesus Christ. And it's quoted as being his day. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow. So Mark 14, verse 27. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. So the smiting of Jesus and the sheep scattering that's associated with it is quoted by Jesus as the smiting of himself, and the sheep scattering is associated with that day. So the disciples were scattered that night, and the entire country was scattered shortly after that. So that is quoted by Jesus as being that time. We also need to realize that there's another prophecy that talks about the thirds. Ezekiel chapter 5. I think this needs our careful consideration. Ezekiel chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. And thou, son of man, take thee a sharp knife, take thee a barber's razor, and cause it to pass upon thine head and upon thy beard. Then take thee balances to weigh, and divide the hair. Thou shalt burn with fire a third part in the midst of the city, when the days of the siege are fulfilled. And thou shalt take a third part, and smite about it with a knife. And a third part thou shalt scatter in the wind, and thou wilt draw out a sword after them. Thou shalt also take thereof, a few in number, and bind them in thy skirts. Then take of them, and cast them into the midst of the fire, and burn them in the fire. For thereof shall a fire come forth unto all the house of Israel. So this is a very similar verse to that one that we were just looking at, where there's the thirds in Zechariah. There's also thirds. There's a third that 
is burned with fire in the city. So that's destruction at that time. And there's a third that's smitten about with a knife. So that's a different kind of destruction, but also destruction. And then there's a third part that's scattered to the wind. So that third part is saved alive, but it's scattered out to the wind. But even then, there's a sword that's drawn out after them. But there's a remnant that comes through. And if we read a little bit further down in the chapter, we're actually given an interpretation of this. So let's read the interpretation of what we're told. Therefore, the father shall eat the sons in the midst of thee, and the son shall eat their fathers, and I will execute judgments in thee, and the whole remnant of thee will I scatter unto the winds. So the remnant's left is scattered. A third part of thee shall die with the pestilence, and with the famine shall they be consumed in the midst of thee. So those are the ones that are talked about, that there would be a, a fire. They're consumed by the famine and by the siege. And then there's another third that's destroyed by the sword that comes against them as, a, as, the, sea, as the city is taken. Then there's a third that's destroyed in that way. And I will scatter a third part into the winds and will draw out a sword after them. So they're scattered and they suffer under the sword when they are scattered. So it shall be a reproach and a taunt and instruction and astonishment into the nations that are round about thee, when I shall execute judgments in thee in anger and in fury and in furious rebukes. I, the Lord, have spoken it. When I shall send upon them the evil arrows of famine, which shall be for their destruction, and I will send to destroy you, and I will increase the famine upon you, and I will break your staff of bread, so will I send upon you famine and evil beasts, and they shall bereave thee, and pestilence and blood shall pass through thee, and I will bring the sword upon thee. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Those are fear, fearful words, and words that we have seen come to pass. As Israel suffered terrible things under the hands of the Romans, they were scattered and have suffered persecution all down the ages. So this time, these thirds was 70 A.D., and then they're sent out in dispersion and suffer there. And then we know that they're regathered, that there's, they're regathered into the land. So if we look then at the thirds, let's just read this again in Zechariah. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is, in my, that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn my hand upon the little ones. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, Two parts therein shall be cut off and die. It's about the same. There's the ones that die in the famine, and there's the ones that die by the sword. <clears throat> and there's a third part that is left, that is, that is brought through. And we'll bring the third part through the fire, and we'll refine them as silver is refined, and we'll try them as gold is tried, and they shall call on my name, and I will hear them. So, this then seems like the beginning. We see the scattering, that they are scattered, and there's ones of them that are destroyed, and then they're brought through, and they're converted back to God at the end. So it's a very similar story. So when we look at this then, I feel that our right attitude, our prayer to God about this, needs to be, we need to pray to God that let it be true that the time of the thirds is past. It doesn't really fit with some of these other prophecies that talk about it being such a short time, such a, a small thing that it's like the man that dreams and they don't get what they're going for. If they invade the land and, and execute 
such a destruction? Could that be described as a hungry man that's wanting to destroy them, that they're coming against them, and they're not able to achieve their goal? Could you describe that as chaff that's nothing so light the wind takes it away? So let it be true that the times of the third is indeed past. And if we feel that that may not be so, I feel we should acknowledge that in our prayer and pray that it may not be so, but in wrath remember mercy. So I feel that we need to, to consider that. And we need to examine the other prophecies. We need to examine them just from the point of view of what does this mean to the people of God? How do we need to pray for them? What can we pray on behalf of God that he would let his face shine upon them and give them peace? I think Psalm 79 is a psalm that we could echo in our prayer. We can echo Psalm 79. Let's just jump in at verse 9. It says, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of thy name, and deliver us, and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is their God? Is that not what they would say when they come down and they come to take them and they boast against God and say, where is their God? We can destroy them. Where's their God now? Let's carry on. Verse 10. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is their God? Let him be known among the heathen in our sight and by the revenging of the blood of thy servants, which is shed. Let the sighing of the prisoner come before thee according to the greatness of thy power Preserve thou those that are appointed to die, and render unto our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom their reproach. Wherefore they have reproached thee, O Lord. As we saw, the people that speak against Israel, the people that come against Israel, the people that are opposing them, that are opposing the rebuilding that God is doing in the land, those people are reproaching God. This is relevant. Verse 13, So we, thy people, and sheep of thy pasture, will give thee thanks forever. If God steps in on behalf of his people, we will thank him forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. We can echo this psalm in our prayer for his people. The purpose of the regathering of, sorry, the purpose of the gathering of the nations against Israel at this time is to judge those nations. If Israel is decimated, if two-thirds of them were wiped out, it would be hard for all the earth to see that God is working on their behalf. They would feel that they had they had brought an affliction upon his people, that they had worked against God. Would it be so obvious that God was working on their behalf? So we can pray that he would preserve those that are appointed to die. That they're appointed by these nations to, for destruction. And we can pray that God would render sevenfold the reproach on the head of the aggressor. And then when God's hand is seen saving his people, we can say, God, if you save your people, we will show forth your praise to all generations. God says in Isaiah 62, verse 1, For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. So that's verse 1 of Psalm of Isaiah 62. Now, we skip down just a little bit. Isaiah 62, verses 6 to 9. How should we also be? Verse 6, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace, day nor night. 
Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest, until he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord hath sworn by his right hand, and by the arm of his strength, Surely I will no more give thy corn to be meat for thine enemies, and the sons of the strangers shall not drink thy wine, for the which thou hast labored. But they that have gathered it shall eat it, and the praise of the Lord, and praise the Lord, and they that have brought it together shall drink it in the courts of my holiness. May this time come, and may we not give him rest until it does. May we pray day and night that God would work and bring these wonderful things to pass that we see in his word. Thank you for listening to this week's Bible in the News, and we will see you again next week, God willing.